Okay, let's get it. Locked on LSU, your team every day. I'm Matt Moscona, ESPN Radio, Baton Rouge, New Orleans, Alexandria, Cox Sports TV, and right here every day for the Locked on LSU podcast. So earlier this morning at Ogeron on the LSU, uh, excuse me, on the SEC coaches teleconference, we'll let you hear what Coach O had to say. Rohan Davey gushes about Joe Burrow, talks about some perspective on the start that Joe has had, and also how he if he were a quarterback scouting the LSU D, how he would attack LSU's defense. That's uh, an interesting conversation you'll hear, and uh, we'll get to your Q&A as well here on the Lockdown LSU podcast. So uh, Ed Ogeron, though, uh, today talked um, on the SEC coaches' teleconference, and most notably he did give an update on some of the players who have been missing time, including Ed Ingram, uh, Glenn Logan, Richard Lawrence, and Caleb Vaughn Chasson. Still no word on Ingram, no official word on Ingram. We keep on hearing stuff, but I haven't seen nothing yet. And then uh, no changes. Uh, you know, Richard Lawrence is uh, is not going to play. Glenn Lowe's is not going to play. And Kellebach uh, Chasson is doubtful. So as expected, you'll go into this week uh, without Ed Ingram, without uh, Richard Lawrence, without Glenn Logan, and very likely here without Caleb on Chasson, which means – the young guys, the rotational players that got a lot of playing time last week against Northwestern State, you'll need them again this week against Vanderbilt, which is a team that's uh, 0-2. They lost a home game to Georgia 30-6, to where Georgia ran the ball for more than 300 yards. And they lost a road game at Purdue, where Purdue threw for more than 500 yards. So basically, the two teams Georgia has uh, uh, Vanderbilt has played have taken two different tacts offensively against Vanderbilt's defense, and both have been... Very, very effective. Um, uh, Ed Ogeron was asked about that, about Vanderbilt's early schedule and how it's it's impacted them and sort of how they'll handle this week. It's been tough. I mean, they're playing two good teams. They're two good teams. I know those, those guys are, are going to be contenders. For, you know, Obviously, Georgia's going to be a contender in the national uh, hunt, and Purdue's a good football team. So they had two, two tough teams in the world. They're a lot better team than their record is. And just like Northwestern State showed us, we're going we're gonna to get their best shot. We know that. So after playing the first two weeks, Vanderbilt did get a bye. And Ed Ogeron was asked about Vanderbilt coming off of the bye. And if that sort of helps Vanderbilt, maybe allows them to prepare some things for LSU, uh, some new wrinkles uh, as they face the Tigers. Yeah, well, you know, obviously it's an advantage for them. I would imagine that their coach went back and tried to pick, fix them first. I think that's the big key, you know, by fixing the things that they're not doing well. And obviously we would do the same thing here. And then probably put in some new things, some new wrinkles, maybe look at the film and see the things that have given us problems. And if they're going to see if we fix it. I think we can see some of the same things that we haven't done well against and maybe a couple of different wrinkles. But I have confidence in our football staff that they can make the adjustments right away. Look, there's always some anxiety going on the road, uh, going on the road in the SEC, and uh, especially going on the road in the conference, playing at 11 a.m. against a team coming off a bye. There's a lot of variables that factor into Vanderbilt's favor this week. But realistically, there's a reason why LSU is a three-touchdown underdog. And I've said it earlier this week on the podcast, and I'll repeat it again here, and probably... (laughs) probably again before the end of the week, but considering who you are missing in Logan and Lawrence and Chasson, it, the, 
the end result is the only thing that matters in this game. Get out of Nashville with a win. It doesn't matter if you have to throw it 60 times and you can't run the football or you can't stop the run and they, you know, Keyshawn Vaughn, you know, who's a fa- fantastic running back and will be a high NFL draft pick, manages to find some wiggle room and get loose. It just it doesn't matter if you win this game 42 to 34. It it just doesn't because the only thing that matters for LSU right now, big picture, is checking these boxes. Win at Vanderbilt, get your open date, win against Utah State, check those boxes, get healthy, and be absolutely full go when Florida comes in here to Baton Rouge on October the 12th. Uh, one more from Ed Ogeron that was interesting. He was asked, um, and this is something that he had to answer after the Texas game, but now with a three-game sample he was asked if he had any more thoughts on if the pace of play offensively is negatively affecting his defense. I think that some point of the season it's going to affect us. Uh, but I can't tell them to slow down and keep on scoring points, you know. <laughs> We're not going to slow down for that. But the thing that affected us against Texas was their 19-play drive. And we could get off the field on third down and couldn't stop the quarterback. That had nothing to do with our offense. So, you know, I think there will be some games where we have to go into some time where we have to slow it down on offense. Our defense needs a breather. But that hasn't been the case yet. Every time we had to, especially against Texas, we had to score every time to win the game. So we had to do what we need to do. You know, one thing that's interesting there that Ed said is that, you know, we're not going to slow down. We're scoring points. You can't tell them to slow down. Uh, in some respects, you look for those instances where you can, if you need to, like he said. But go to the end of the Northwestern State game, for example. LSU's last possession, they got the ball with 535 to play in the ball game, and LSU was leading 58 to 14. 58 to 14. Okay. You're up. Let me say this again. You're up 58 to 14 with five and a half minutes to play. Here was LSU's play sequence. Miles Brennan pass complete to Jure Jenkins for nine yards. Ty Davis-Price run for three yards. Miles Brennan run for nine yards. It was a pass play where he scrambled. Ty Davis-Price ran for two yards. Brennan throws to Ty Davis-Price. Brennan throws to Jeray Jenkins. And then Ty Davis uh, for 35 yards. Then uh, Ty Davis-Price runs it in from two yards out. So uh, on that drive, of your one, two, three, four, five, six, of your seven plays, five were called passes. (laughs) So... There is no attempted balance in this offense, and that's okay. But even up 58-14, to you're still throwing the football because it's what you do. So, and that's not a bad, it's working. It's working very well. Don't misunderstand me. But understand also that the idea of just lining up and running the football to salt a game away is not something that appears to be in this team's arsenal, at least not as of right now, and certainly was not there with a 58-14 to lead with five minutes to go against an FCS school. All right, let's not get a quick break. It's Locked on LSU, your team every day. Uh, we visit with Rohan Davey every week, former LSU quarterback. A couple of things I want you to hear, uh, namely, if Rohan has ever seen a quarterback at LSU playing at the level that Joe Burrow is right now, his answer will surprise you. But also, uh, we asked Roe if he were scheming to attack LSU's defense, how would he do it? You'll hear that from former LSU great Rohan Davey next. Continuing here, Locked on LSU, your team every day. We visit every week with former LSU quarterback Rohan Davey. 
and he talks about a lot. Uh, we spent about half an hour with Roe, and you can go hear that interview in its entirety at 1045ESPN.com. Just click After Further Review On Demand, and you'll see it there, or however you're listening to this podcast. Just search 1045ESPN. But uh, we started this conversation with Roe asking him why Joe Burrow was so good using the middle of the field against Northwestern State. Joe Burrow threw for more than 300 yards using the middle of the field, only had two incomplete passes. I asked him why on Saturday Joe was so effective using the middle of the field. It wasn't just Saturday. He's been that good in the middle of the field the entire this, this short season we've been in. I'm sure if you pull that graphic up, Matt, from the past two games as well, it'll probably be close to identical. But I'm going to tell you why. It's the fact that Joe makes you have to defend everyone on the field. And what I mean by that is you have to account for the running backs and check down. And he does a good job of playing the quarterback position. And what I mean by that is linebackers have to step up to take that back because Joe will give it to him. So now if you step up to take that back, you have the in-cut from the Jeffersons, the Marshalls, the 12 to 15-yard in-cuts right, right around the hash marks when they're coming in and right over the middle of the field. So if these backers aren't getting back or they have to come up on the RPO when he sticks that ball in the belly of any of those running backs, they have to take a step towards the line of scrimmage. And that step towards the line of scrimmage is that split-second step that the Wide, excuse me, that the quarterback and the wide receiver need to get in that window with that 12 to 15 yard window behind the linebacker, but in front of the safety. And that's what Joe is doing. Joe is doing a good job of getting it to the back when the linebacker gets too deep. And he's doing a phenomenal job of hitting those in cuts and those quick little glance routes um, when those guys step up to take away the running back. And when the safety starts to cheat up and think that, oh, let me try to take away this in cut because they've hit it two or three, four or five or six times, then that's when he hits you over the middle with the bomb or he hits you down the sideline and with no safety help on the go route. So it's really just him. That's why I say it's his decision-making. His decision-making is what's awesome right now that I've never seen since I've been affiliated with this great university and this great program. His decision-making is what's going on. What's the closest you've seen to someone playing at this level? I, I mean, honestly, I haven't seen anybody playing like this. Not, not like this. Not, not you know, completion percentage so high. So, I mean, the confidence that he's playing with, the confidence that he's playing with with his guys. Um, you know, he's playing like he had, every week. He has the he has the answers to the test, and he seems like he's had the answer to the test for two weeks, and just <laughs> just been mowing over the answers and ready to, you know, unleash and ace the test every week. So I, I haven't seen anyone play this, play like this, especially not to start the season. You pointed out myself, that wasn't until after, you know, Ole Miss or whatever, until we got rolling. We didn't de- definitely didn't jump out the box the way these guys have and the way Joe has. So answer your question, I, I, I haven't seen anything like this. I want to flip the field. Uh, if you were... It's almost like asking you know, the, the criminal to help solve a crime. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, when yeah, you yeah, ask yeah. offensive guys, <laughs> like, how do you attack a defense? You know, mm-hmm. like, so you look at LSU's defense and you go, all right, some teams have been able to make some plays. 
So what do you see there that are the vulnerabilities? Well, right now, my opinion, um, our secondary lack of communication, um, I, I think the fact that they're moving around, uh, starting the young guys and playing some guys, I think the vulnerability in the secondary is right now. And, that, and if I was playing our secondary right now, I would not line up and just run a play. I would not line up. I would be formation us to death. I would be flipping the formation. I would line up, show something else. I would motion or something else. I would do all I can for them to communicate what's going on and get the confusion like we saw a couple times the other night with guys just running wide open. But that's exactly how I would run combination routes. There would, no be, there would be no two-man route. Everything would be combination with three, three receivers or four receivers, dragging them into the same zone trying to get the confusion part and having those guys having a pass off route and communicate what exactly is going on. Because in my opinion, I mean, I'll be honest with you, the best, the person that's playing the best out there secondary right now is Derek Stingley. I mean, I don't think Seven's playing well. I, you know, um, I think the communication what's going on is, is, is definitely disturbing right now. And luckily we have time to get a fix with the opponents, hopefully that we have coming up. But that, that's how I would attack us. I would not line up and run a conventional play. I would keep it moving. I would flip. I would formation. I would, man, I would just do anything and everything to confuse the defense. Make, and also making sure that I'm not confusing my quarterback as well. But I would definitely have a lot of motion, a lot of line up in one formation, flipping to another formation, motioning back to another formation, maybe get the back out wide, bring him back in the backfield, like anything to confuse us. Uh, how would you replace Todd Harris? Next man up. <laughs> I mean, is there some, like, so Ed mentioned potentially Jacoby you know, Stevens moving back and playing that center field role, but he's done so well in his current role, kind of in that hybrid three safety look. So, right, right. I mean, do you do that in effect two positions, or uh, is there someone well, else that you like back there? If it's not anyone else you like, you got to move him back. And, and hopefully you could put somebody else to fill that role. Maybe the, the position that he's in and the role he's at, maybe there's somebody that could better play that position and you could move him back back to the back. What about so, this? I mean, would, you, would you like this? Would you like moving Jacoby Stevens back to play that, that free safety spot, taking Michael Divinity and playing him in the role he did last year, kind of in an outside backer spot, and then having Phillips and Damone Clark start on the inside? Sounds like that sounds like one option. <laughs> is it a good option? I mean, no, well, the the best option for me in situations like that is for you to get those guys back to get your players in the most familiar position so they can play. Now, if they got to go back and learn a new position that they're not familiar with, never been in. That's a, that I'm I'm leery towards that. But if you can move him back and put Divinity uh, at a position that he's familiar with and he can play, and I'm all for that. But I'm not for having a guy learn a new spot unless he's just a freak, you know, whatever it may be. But I'm not for you just putting a guy out for a new spot just, you know, for whatever reason. Put him back in a spot that he's comfortable with and he can make plays. But we don't want to compound the situation by putting him back there, having to communicate. And you having to rely on somebody else to get the communication to you. Right, that ain't going to work. What do you want to see against uh, Vandy this week? I want to see the, 
the offense continue to operate at a high level. And I want to, I want to, um, I want to get out. I want to get out the game. I want to get out the game feeling good about the game, preserving some of the health of some of these guys. Because honestly, man, I think, I, I think our biggest adversity going forward until we hit Florida week and going forward is just having to manage these guys, maintain these guys, keep guys healthy, keep guys engaged, especially if we're up big in these games, which I hope we are. It's going to, this coach is going to have to do a good job of making sure that these guys are, you know, one healthy, feeling fresh with the game plan, and most importantly, start fast. Start fast, come out the gates fast so you're not stumbling in the third quarter or lingering around into the fourth quarter where you still where you can rest some guys, you know. So I think that's going to be key going forward. It is the Locked on LSU podcast brought to you in part by Vivid Seats. Make a memory that lasts a lifetime and let the Vivid Seats app help you get to your favorite live event. Enter promo code KICKOFF at checkout to receive a discount of up to $100. Again, download the Vivid Seats app, enter the promo code KICKOFF at checkout, and receive a discount of up to $100. We'll wrap up next. Locked on LSU, your team every day. Wrapping up another edition of the Locked on LSU podcast, your team every day. Uh, Glad to have you hanging out with us here. We'll get to a few of your questions here to wrap up. Remember, you can always jump on uh, Facebook. If uh, you don't already like my Facebook page, it's at Matt Moscona, A-F-R. Like, uh, set notifications when we go live. You can jump aboard with us. Uh, R.J. Johnson, is Burrow the most talented quarterback in college? I only watch LSU football, so I have no idea about other teams. It's a good question, R.J. Uh, He's playing at a level as high as anybody in college right now. That is not that's undeniable. If you're just talking about physical ability, uh, Tua Tungavailoa from Alabama would probably be the most talented quarterback in college football. He and Trevor Lawrence from Clemson would be sort of a one one a, just as far as uh, arm strength, accuracy, ability to move within the pocket. But Joe Burrow has improved a lot of areas where he wasn't good last year. Again, his ability to throw to throw on the run, to move in the pocket, and and accuracy. He threw a couple of pinpoint accurate balls on the sideline this last weekend against Northwestern State, uh, one to uh, Terrace Marshall, another to Stephon Sullivan. Plays that on the move he might not have made a year ago. Uh, but if you're just looking at physical ability, arm strength, there are guys in college football. Justin Herbert from Oregon's another one that um, might be more physically gifted than Burrow. But um, when you look at the guys that are going to be at the top of this year's draft, you'll have Tua, you'll have Justin Herbert, and then I – you know, Jake Fromm and, and Joe Burrow are going to be right there as well in that conversation. Uh, we'll uh, Alvino Frazier. If LSU blows out Vandy, do they jump Georgia because of the eye test and mutual matchup? Uh, probably not, Alvino, because LSU beats Vandy. you got to consider Georgia this weekend plays Notre Dame in Athens. So that's a top-10 matchup. If Georgia beats Notre Dame, they would maintain their spot or maybe even – leapfrog one of the other two schools, depending how the, the rest of the weekend goes. But it's hard to imagine Georgia beating top 10 Notre Dame and falling. Um, if Notre Dame beats Georgia and LSU beats Vandy, then obviously LSU would uh, would move up. Mike Gravois says, so what are we thinking the passing yards and rushing yards of this game? And if Burrow is putting up big numbers, you think keep him in possibly to break the single game record? So, Mike, I would tell you the only way I think Burrow has a chance of breaking the record, and a lot have asked about this because uh, Vandy allowed 503 pass yards to uh, to Purdue two weeks ago. But the only way I would tell you that that Burrow would have a shot 
is if this is a competitive game through the end. Remember, on the road at Texas, he threw for 471, but that was a situation where you had to score every possession. I, I'm not sure everyone realizes uh, conceptually just how rare it is to throw for 500 yards in a game. I mean, LSU's been playing football for 126 years, and it's happened once when Rohan did it in 2001 at Alabama. So not only does do you just have to be on that day, you've got to hit some big plays. Like Josh Reed had 293 receiving yards that day. I mean, you've got to be able to bust some big ones, and you've got to be in a competitive game where your quarterback is still slinging it throughout. So you know, if that happens, you know he'll have a, a big – I think he'll have a big day either way. But to break 528, man, you're going to have to be in a really competitive game where Burrow's in the game late still throwing the football, and it's just really hard for me to imagine that happening. Uh, one more from Jody Landry says, Hey, good morning, Matt. Why haven't we seen more of Chris Curry? Uh, honestly, Jody, he's just gotten beaten out. And, you know, when you look at Clyde Edwards Elayer, you know, he's a guy that, despite a lot of people looking at the yards per carry right now, he's a guy that's making making defensive players miss whenever he's, you know, dead to rights from a, a, a leaky offensive line. I think Clyde's been good here to start the season, and they trust Leonard Fournette as a veteran guy in the game. And when you look at the other three backs with the two freshmen and then with Curry, the other two are just more physically gifted than Chris Curry. So they're going to give those guys opportunities to come along because of you know their, quote, upside. And you started to see it certainly with Ty Davis-Price on Saturday, how physical of a runner he is. And he's just unlike anybody else they have you know, on that roster right now. So uh, with Chris Curry, it's just a situation where he's been beaten out by, by better backs. And I, I don't know that those, those reps become more plentiful at any point this season because the games are only going to get more difficult and you're going to lean on your veterans and your more talented guys. All right, it's going to do it for us. Put a button here on a uh, hump day edition of the Locked on LSU podcast. As always, please uh, subscribe to the podcast on whatever platform you hear us and uh, rate us on iTunes. That is just a, a massive help if you could do it. Let everybody know that we're here every day for our Locked on LSU. Until tomorrow, Locked on LSU, your team every day.